Genesis 1-1. I'm just going to read it to you. It's real short. You can, you could quote it instead of having you stand, but it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me start out this way and say to you, I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to go through the science of creation versus evolution this morning. Uh, I'm a theologian. I want to talk to you about what the Bible says. That's my purpose. If you have questions about evolution, go see one of our science professors, our science faculty members. They will take care of you and do a great job explaining to you young earth creationism from a scientific standpoint. At Cedarville, we believe in six-day literal creation, six-day literal creation, and that God created it. That's what our doctrinal statement says. We may argue about exactly how old the earth is, whether it's along with Usher 4004 BC or whether it's a little bit older than that and there's some gaps in the genealogies or something of that nature. But Cedarville University is an institution that believes in a historic Adam and Eve. We believe in a creator God. We believe in a six-day literal creation. That's what we believe. So as I walk through this text, you know where I'm headed with that. I'm going to mention some of the other viewpoints just in passing to make sure you're aware of those. I can't in 30 minutes adequately cover all of those different viewpoints, so that's not my intention. That's not my purpose this morning. I could spend an entire year going through all of the different viewpoints and going through young earth creationism and lay it all out, and we don't have that much time, and so I want to hit just some of the highlights here. Genesis 1-1 starts out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I'll start with the first thing. Who wrote it? Well, Moses wrote it. It is controversial. It is debated. But look at what the scripture says in Numbers 33.2. And I've got tons of scriptures that we're just going to look at on the screen today as we roll through this. Numbers 33.2 says, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage, the command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. Deuteronomy 31.9 says, then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to the elders of Israel. Deuteronomy 31.24 says, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end. So we look at what it says there on an internal evidence, but then we flip over to the New Testament and see what it says in the New Testament. And we'll note that Jesus on several different occasions referred back to Moses as the author. Mark 7.10, when Jesus is speaking there, he says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. You can note there in Luke 16, 29, where he's telling that parabolic story of Lazarus and the rich man. And in that story, as he's telling that, he says at that particular reference, they have Moses and the prophets referring back to the Old Testament. Let them hear them. In John 5, 46 and 47, Jesus says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And that gets us to a very crucial point. When we come to Genesis 1-1 to the very beginning, when we come to what we believe about creation, what we believe about how all of this came to exist, we come to a point of belief in whether we hold to the authority of God's word or whether we do not hold to the authority of God's word. God's word is very clear on this issue. And ever since the very beginning recorded in the pages of Genesis, the devil has been saying things like, has God said... And then after he hears the response, the devil will come back and he will say, well, God's lying. So he did it with Eve when he said, what has God told you? Has he told you that you shouldn't eat of the tree? And and Eve gave the response and then he came back and contradicted God, you shall not surely die. In the subject of creation, 
The devil is still up to his old tricks trying to deceive all of us in the way that he deceived Eve when he's asking the questions, has God said? And then he's coming back around and he's saying, God did not create. Because if you can undo the creator, you undo many theological principles and you undo the responsibility for us to live our life in obligation to the God who created us as our creator, as the one who created us in his image. And so these are some of the verses that are the most attacked in all of scripture. If you go to a secular university, if you go to some seminaries, you'll be taught a JEDP theory. You'll be taught a host of things that seek to undermine that even Moses was the author of the law. Here we see that Moses was the author, and so we begin then with our first three words of the one verse we're covering today. In the beginning, when was the beginning? Well, there's several different theories on this, several different views on this. Let's look at some of those briefly. One view would be a gap theory. The gap theory would say that there is a gap of time between Genesis 1-1 and considers it a title and Genesis 1-2, and we don't know how long that gap of time could be. There have been some conservative scholars throughout history that have held this viewpoint, uh, but I don't see any reason why you have to hold to a gap theory. There's also the day-age theory where the Hebrew word yom can mean day-age or it can mean a day or it can mean something longer than a day. You could see that, for example, in Genesis 2-4 or Psalm 90 verse 4 where it means longer than perhaps that 24-hour day. I'll come back and tell you why I believe it is a 24-hour day a little later. But that's the day-age theory is that each of the days could represent ages of time. We don't know how long that time span could be. And so some will hold to a day-age theory in an effort to try to accommodate to science to make it a longer historic earth. Some just come out with a literary framework view and they say Genesis 1 and 2 are not intended to be read literally, but they are intended to be read figuratively as a framework explaining creation in a topical, not a sequential order, and that the days are metaphorical. You have a really hard time holding to this type viewpoint and taking scripture literally, especially looking at what Paul does in the New Testament when he's talking about Adam and when he's taking Adam literally and, and when the scripture looks at these days as literal days, but, but some hold to a literary framework view. Some hold to theistic evolution. They will say that God began creation and then allowed evolution to take its course through natural process. And some hold to naturalistic evolution. They would hold to the fact that God is not the creator God, that in the beginning God did not create. They would deny what this passage of scripture says. They would do away with a God they would do away with a creator. They would then make us cosmic accidents that have occurred so that basically they believe that nothing evolved into everything. And I'll come back to this too. But I believe it takes more faith to believe in naturalistic evolution than it does to believe in a creator God that created everything that we see. There are some views that don't hold to an old earth view. They hold to a young earth view. Two of those that I would like to mention to you would be historic creationism. It declares that in Genesis 1-1 declares the ultimate beginning, but does not specify an exact time for how long the beginning of God's creative activity lasted. Genesis 1-2 describes the land at the end of the beginning as empty and desolate, i.e. uninhabitable. Verses 3 through 5 then mark the first of six literal days, and so it takes those as six literal 24-hour days, making the land suitable for the creation of Adam and Eve and the climax of God's work in Genesis. You'll find this in John Selhammer in his view, particularly in Genesis Unbound, but in other works as well. 
And so this view holds to the six 24-hour literal days, but it, it may not hold to a 4,004, a 10,000-year-old earth. The earth could be a little bit older than that. Relatively speaking to the billions of years of the previous views, it's still a young earth view. And then we come to young earth creationism. This is the position that I hold. This is the position that many hold on this campus. God created the entire universe in six 24-hour literal days. In the beginning, God. Now, when you look at young earth creationism and you say, why is it that you hold this particular viewpoint? And I don't have time to give you all the reasons, but I'll give you a summary of just a couple of them. First is the numbering and the expressions of evening and morning. Whenever you have the word yom and you have the numbering of those expressions and you have evening and morning, I believe that indicates a 24-hour day. When you look at the book of Exodus as well, which I believe that Moses wrote the law, and so Moses, the same writer that writes Genesis 1, is writing in Exodus 20, verse 11, and he says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Our work week, the way that we actually work today in modern times is based off of the creation week and off of this verse in Exodus 20:11, where it sets it aside. Now, if you have a day-age view where every day is a longer period of time, then basically that means you're going to work for six long periods of time, and then you're going to take a seventh off. That, that work week, this Sabbath that Moses is putting here in Exodus, makes absolutely no sense if that's the case. And so I believe they were six 24-hour literal days. I also believe that we have a young earth based off of Mark 10, 6, where Jesus is talking, and it's also in Matthew 19, 4, and he's talking about divorce in this context, but he makes this statement, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From the very beginning of creation, God was making them male and female. I could go on with other reasons. We could go into some of the scientific reasons as well, but I believe we have a young earth. I believe that that's what we have, but I want to state this. The Bible nowhere teaches or demands an exact date on the age of the earth. The ideas of an old earth generally come from outside to other sources and not from the Bible, but the Bible doesn't demand that you hold to 4004 BC as Usher did tracking back the genealogies. And there were some gaps in those genealogies. If you look at Matthew and you look at Chronicles, Matthew has three generations missing. But when you look at the Old Testament, it usually has the more concrete, uh, complete genealogies. But the Bible never says to us it has to be 4,004 or 6,000 or 10,000. But if you start drifting too far back, I want to ask the question, where did you get that idea? Where did the idea come from? That the earth has to be millions or billions of years old. And the answer usually is from science or from some accommodation to outside sources, not from reading the text of Scripture, not from the authority of God's Word. So how is it that we reconcile the Bible with science? We obviously want to do honest, intelligent work. And so we recognize that as we look at science, you, you can look at scientific theories and you can look at scientific study and you understand what I understand. They change frequently. You know, I pick and choose the scientific studies I like, such as the ones on salt. I ignore the ones that tell me I shouldn't eat salt. I save all of the ones to my, to my desktop that tell me I should eat salt and more salt because I want to be biblical and be the salt of the earth. And so I salt everything, including pizza. 
I am a saltaholic. I confess it. I admit it today. Admission's the first form of being in recovery, right? So I, I am a, I don't salt ice cream. Everything else pretty much, including apples, I salt. If you've never tried it, sweet and salty, it goes really well together. I'm just saying, don't make fun of me till you try it. And if you sit beside me and Chuck's, don't take the salt shaker. That's a bad idea, all right? Just get, just go get another one off another table because one's going to sit right in front of me. All right, moving on. One day we could say science has wrong presuppositions. If they start with wrong presuppositions, they change their presuppositions, they're going to come to different conclusions. You can look at how God created, and we understand from Genesis that God created Adam not as a baby, not as someone who had to learn from those very earliest stages, but God created Adam as a full-grown man. God created Eve as a full-grown woman. God could have created things with apparent age, and so apparent age theory also may help us to reconcile these type things. You look in the New Testament, you see it that Jesus created water, made the water into wine, and when Jesus created the wine, he didn't create a wine that would have been tasted as a new wine. It was a mature wine. It was a good wine. It was a wine that tasted as though it were a fine wine, not something that had just been created. I don't think this is dishonest. I think God could have created light in motion from the stars that are light years away. I believe that God could do whatever he says he wanted to do because God told us he created it. He didn't leave deceptive information. He said, I did it. Here's how I did it. Here's what happened. And then he moves on. We could also look at intelligent design. You can look throughout the universe and see irreducible complexity You can look through creatures like the bombardier beetle and the giraffe, and you can study those animals, and you can ask yourself questions about how would they have evolved? How would the giraffe have evolved with that really long neck and that heart that has to pump the blood all the way up that neck to the brain? And so it it has a, a heart that pumps that blood, and it's going up against gravity, and all of a sudden that giraffe walks up to a pond and says, I'm thirsty, and I think I need a drink. And as the giraffe walks up to the pond and says it's thirsty, that really tall neck, which is fighting against gravity, all of a sudden lowers down and gravity is now going with it. And that blood just rushes straight to the brain and blows the brains of the giraffe out the top of its head as it's going down to get water. And while that giraffe is falling over to the side, that giraffe says to itself, I need to evolve. This is not a good plan. Let's fix this. Boom. (laughs) That's what happened, right? So then the giraffe has these valves in its neck that shuts off the blood flow up to the brain so that it won't blow its brains out next time it gets a drink of water. But if it doesn't have any blood in the brain, then it's going to get dizzy and pass out. And so it gets dizzy and passes out. And while that lion's coming up eating on it because it's got a free cheap meal, that giraffe says, this is not a good idea. I need to evolve and develop something else because this just doesn't work. And so the giraffe then has a sponge up in its brain that traps enough blood so that as it's drinking water, as those valves are shut off, that blood can still make that brain function and operate properly so that it can raise that massive neck back up and run off and survive. You tell me how any part of that could have evolved over time and for it to make sense. You look out all through creation and you see irreducible complexities. You look out at the geological record. You look out at the different strata, the different data that's out there, and you understand that sometimes things may look old. How how do we take account of that? You know, it's almost as if there was some catastrophic event some worldwide catastrophe that happened that caused all of these things to look like they do. Can you think of any catastrophic event that might have happened that would cause this to appear the way it does? 
you know, like, I don't know, a massive flood or something of that nature. You keep reading the book of Genesis and what do you encounter? But a universal worldwide flood. You want to know more details? You can go talk to our science faculty. They will clue you in and give you more details. Here's one reason I say it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does intelligent design. Hugh Ross has documented 150 requirements for life to exist on a planet. He has calculated the chances that life would randomly occur on a planet, and it is basically one chance, I'm going to read this to make sure I get it right, and there's too many trillions in here, so I'm going to have to put my finger down. One chance in 100,000 trillion, 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 trillion exist that one such planet should occur anywhere in the universe that would sustain life. What we have is we have an intentional attempt to undermine the authority of God's word to do away with the creator so that mankind and womankind can live as they please and can do whatever they want. It's the same thing we do in our own hearts and in our own minds when we rationalize things about God. That's why we differ from naturalism. That's why we do not agree with Charles Darwin in his 1859 publication titled On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. You can study more about macroevolution and microevolution, and when you put it all together, if you believe in evolution, this is basically what you're saying. I believe that a tornado or a hurricane could go through a junkyard enough times, if it continually went through the same junkyard, eventually it would assemble those junkyard parts into the form of a 747 into a plane that could fly in the air. Now, how many of you want to buy a ticket for the 747 assembled from the junkyard out of a tornado or a hurricane continually going through it? You're not going to put your faith in that. You're going to say, this was developed how? No, thank you. I want somebody to intelligently design that plane and to double check that plane and to look over that plane. You cannot believe that chaos made order. If you believe in naturalism, and many in our world do, if you believe that we are cosmic accidents, then your life is of no more value than any other animal because you are simply an animal with a bigger brain. You wonder why some people are miserable you wonder why some people have no reason to live. You wonder why some people look for answers in a bottle of pills or in drugs or why they seek momentary pleasures. It's because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, if there is no creator, if there is no first Adam, then there is no second Adam. And if we have none of this, then eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. So people are looking for pleasure and happiness in sex, in food, in alcohol, in gambling, in drugs, in adrenaline rushes, in entertainment, in anything that will make them feel alive, in anything that will distract their mind for even a moment from the hopelessness that they exist in. And we have a message of hope because our Bible tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our Bible tells us about a savior who came and loved us in this way that while we were yet sinners in rebellion, Christ died for us. We have a message of hope that we need to take to the world. In the beginning, God created. Bara is the word here for created. It's used in the cow stem of the Hebrew, which only has the divine God as its subject. He did not use the word asa, which is more frequently for make or made, such as in Genesis 3.6 or Genesis 8 or Genesis 3.7 or 8.6. He used the word bara. It's translated into the Latin as ex nihilo. 
created from nothing. This affirms what we see in Hebrews 11.3 where it says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. God spoke it into existence and there it was. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It was creation from nothing. It was creation ex nihilo because that's how powerful the God we serve is. God created. The world wants to do away with God created. There are people with intentional emphasis to replace God created with scientific theories to undermine God and to do away with God and to replace our theological viewpoints of a biblical worldview with naturalistic humanism. Let's look at some of the Bible verses that promise this. First, look at Psalms 11.3, which says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If they can take away Genesis, then it allows them to undermine the foundations of our faith. To compromise on Genesis is to undermine scriptural authority and the very words of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We are not just talking about Genesis 1-1 here. When we talk about God created the heavens and the earth, we are talking all throughout scripture. There are references made back to God creating. Look at what it says in Psalm 8.3. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 33.6 and 33.9, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Nehemiah 9, 6, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. Jeremiah 10, 16, for he is the one who formed all things. We are not just talking about Genesis 1, 1. We are not just talking about the first 11 chapters. We are talking about the consistent revelation of God throughout scripture. If you believe in the authority of God's word, you believe that God created the heavens and the earth. It continues on. In the New Testament, we could go to Mark 10, 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Mark 13, 19. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Verses we skim over that have buried in there that God created until now. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. Acts 17, 24 through 26, when Paul is there on Mars Hill and he's preaching, he says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling places. Ephesians 3, 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
Hebrews 1.10, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Hebrews 11.3, which we have already read. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God created. It's clear throughout the testimony of Scripture. We're not just talking about Genesis 1. We are talking about the authority of God's Word. So as we sit here as an institution of higher learning, in the small minority of institutions that affirm that God created, we stand firm because we stand for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We stand firm because we believe in the authority of God's Word, the inerrancy of God's Word, the inspiration of God's Word, that God created. And we're not in the place to say anything differently. That may mean that some in the scientific community, some in the geological community never look at us and say, look how smart they are. That's okay. We are not placed on this earth to look for the applause of mankind. We are placed on this earth to serve God. And our primary goal is one day to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth could be translated the skies and the land. It's a phrase basically of saying God created everything. Uh, Under the God created everything, the most controversial element of that in modern theological times and specifically in higher education is a historic atom. So I have some slides for you to briefly discuss the historic atom before we close today. God created everything, including a historic atom. Think about the text. Genesis chapter 2 through 12 presents a seamless strand of history from Adam to Abraham. To deny a historical Adam sets a dangerous trajectory of interpreting Scripture. The genealogies in 1 Chronicles and the Luke treat Adam as historical. Paul wrote of a historical Adam, and we'll look at these particular verses in just a moment. Without a historic Adam, we lose one race created in the image of God, a common sinful nature, and the doctrine of original sin. And I want to stop right there for just a moment. Because on this campus in particular, because we believe in a historic Adam, because we believe that we all have descended from Adam and Eve, because we believe that we all have been created in the image of God, there is no place of any kind for racism or discrimination of any kind to ever exist in any way, shape, form, or fashion on this campus. We all have the same blood. We all have Adam and Eve. We all have Noah in our lineage. And when we go back, we understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ created in the image of God, and we recognize that the same blood blood flowing through my veins flows through everyone else's veins and that we have a common creator God and that does away with any need for any racism or discrimination of any kind. Our theological viewpoints drive how we interact with culture. We believe God created the heavens and the earth and it changes the way we live. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we interact with others. If there was no first Adam, is there a second Adam? It all comes back to biblical authority. Look at these two verses. Romans 5 first and then 1 Corinthians next. Romans 5, 12 through 14 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. How did sin come into the world? Through one man. That man is a historic Adam. And death came through sin. It's one of the reasons that you have young earth beliefs there is that death came through sin 
If you stretch the age of the earth out too much, you then have death before sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of those who were to come. First Corinthians fifteen twenty one and 22 says this, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. If you don't have a historical Adam, what do you do with the historical Christ? Verses 45 says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. Here Paul, pointing back to Genesis with a literal interpretation of what happened, The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Why does this matter to you? Why does the fact that we believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth matter to you? Here's why it matters. It basically affects everything. The doctrine of Scripture If you can't trust that Genesis 1-1 is correct, that in the beginning God created, how can you trust John 3-16? Once you place yourself as judge over what scriptures are true, instead of allowing scripture to judge you and your life, where do you stop? Where does it end? The doctrine of humanity. Are we created in the image of God or are we cosmic accidents? It affects the way we live. It affects the way we view the world. The doctrine of sin, where did evil come from? Did Adam sin on our behalf or not? How do we explain the fact that every baby that is born automatically knows how to be selfish? You don't have to teach your children how to do bad things. They understand that automatically. You have to train them as to how to do what is right. How do you explain the fact that we have this innate sinful nature that causes us to run away from God, to flee from God, to do our own selfish desires, to put ourselves on the throne of our own heart, and that we have to be taught to do right? It's because there's a common inherited sinful nature from Adam and Eve from original sin. What about the doctrine of Christ? If there is no first Adam, how is Christ a second Adam? You see, it affects everything. From the very beginning, the devil came along and he said, has God said? God told a lie. And today in our modern times, we look back at Eve and we said, oh, Eve, you just should have believed God. And yet in our own world, the devil has come along and has said, has God said? God told a lie. And that's why we need those of you who are studying in the sciences and in geology and in other locations to study your discipline with excellence and to study it well so that you can go out and defend a biblical worldview wherever God sends you, whatever He has you do in life, you can stand firm. Because here at Cedarville, we believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's biblical authority, and we're going to stand for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your Word. 
God, I thank you that we don't have to guess or wonder what happened, but that, Lord, you have revealed it to us through the pages of Scripture. Father, I pray that in all areas of our life, we would allow your Scripture to be authoritative, that we would look to your Scripture and allow it to speak into our lives. That, Lord, we would never think that we can sit in judgment over your word, but, Lord, we would allow your word and your spirit to correct us, to guide us as to how we may live a life that glorifies you. Father, we humbly confess that we are fallen, that even our thoughts and our ways are not good. And so we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your thoughts from above. Lord, we need your help. So we plead to the mercy of the cross, to the grace of Jesus, and we ask for you to help us. As Lord, we seek in this life to honor you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, help us not just to know what's right, but to be able to engage culture with kindness and compassion and conviction as we seek to share the truth of the gospel with them. We ask all this in Jesus' name, our blessed Savior. Amen. You're dismissed.